Hey everyone, this is It's All Good, a Block Club Chicago podcast. This is episode 74, Saving Endangered Chicago Buildings. It's one of my favorite stories of the year that comes out every year. Not that these buildings are endangered, but that there are efforts to save them. And it gives us a fresh appreciation of some really cool buildings in Chicago. Ward Miller from Preservation Chicago, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, John. Happy to be here. And is that what it's all about? I mean, these endangered buildings, obviously it's about saving them, but that's through what? Raising awareness, giving people a new fresh appreciation for what they are? Exactly. It's uh, spotlighting them. It's giving people a history, uh, making them aware of these structures. And, and um, you know, it's a little bit of an education process that we all experience as we uh, as we look at these buildings. And they're really remarkable structures, and we've got a great list this year. Our Chicago, our annual Chicago Seven Most Endangered list, and just want to share that this is our 20th anniversary of making this announcement. Well, congratulations. We've had a lot of successes in the past. Yeah, congratulations on that. All right, before we get to the list, I want to know how is it picked? How is it curated? So uh, what we do is we uh, we reach out to community members. Uh, we reach out through the media, our own social media. Um, and we also uh, look to our board members that represent uh, different areas of the city of Chicago. And we ask uh, in advance for these submissions to come in, uh, usually sometime in uh, mid-January. And then from there, uh, we, we usually have about 70 to 80 uh, recommendations or nominations. And from there, we take it, um, we sort of boil it down with our board and our staff uh, to determine which ones are most endangered um, and do a lot of research to, to get to that point. And from that uh, point, the board and staff actually of Preservation Chicago actually make those uh, decisions. We boil it down to seven, uh, seven different images. And is that criteria to make the top seven, what is the most endangered or is it we want to balance sides of the city too? Like, are there other considerations made to make the most impact for readers, viewers, and people who end up seeing the story? Absolutely. A little combination of both. Really, you know, uh, it's it is the the most endangered buildings, those that we see that are really at the edge of the abyss, if you will, uh, that are very much threatened. Uh, but sometimes it's it's uh, if we have a category of buildings, it's to raise the awareness of that category, which may include some buildings that are really um, in dire straits and in danger of immediate demolition. And you'll see that uh, in this year's list as well. When we go through this list here now, is this one through seven most endangered or is it just seven and they're all on equal footing here, I guess you could say, or equal unsettled footing? Uh, you know, uh, we we organize them uh, according to their popularity and uh, not only with our board, but what we've also seen in the media and what we've experienced uh, so uh, they are sort of weighted, if you will, but they're all our top seven, if you will. I got it. Yeah, I understand for sure. <laughs> they're all important, yeah, if you will. Yeah, there we go. All right, well, let's go to the one. They're all inside the, and they're all inside the city of Chicago. Right. It's like choosing between children, right? You love them all, um, <laughs> but secretly you have a favorite. No, I didn't say that. Um, okay, Century and Consumers Building on State is where we're going to start. Very visible uh, uh, building for a lot of folks, right? Absolutely. These are located uh, in the heart of the loop on State Street at State and uh, Adams and State and Quincy. Um, they're two amazing early skyscraper buildings. They're terracotta. Uh, they're steel framed. Uh, this was the last of the early Chicago School buildings or the, of the Chicago School of Architecture. Uh, and these were built by uh, Holliburton and Roche and Jenny Mundy and Jensen. Uh, William LeBaron Jenny was the father of the skyscraper. He sort of invented, if you will, 
or uh, compose this system of, of building on a steel frame or a steel bird cage. And both of these buildings have been languishing uh, for many years, for 17 years. They're owned by the General Services Administration, which is the federal government. And they were originally supposed to purchase them to uh, encourage the expansion of their federal offices. And that just never happened. And over the last 17 years, everything else around them has been restored and revisioned. These two buildings uh, remain um, languishing. And there's now a $52 million taxpayer earmark that has come through to demolish these buildings. And this will impact so much. It will also impact our nomination of uh, early Chicago school buildings that are being uh, nominated to the uh, UNESCO World Heritage uh, Site and Monument. So uh, we feel that uh, there's so many reasons to preserve these buildings and we have some interesting ideas as to what they could become. One is a Chicago Collaborative Archive Center where um, uh, Chicago collections and those across the nation uh, can be um, can be stored and housed. And the great thing about that is archives are light sensitive. So the GSA and, and the Judiciary Committee all have concerns about windows and looking into the nearby federal center, which is adjacent right behind uh, these buildings. And this will allow uh, windows to be sealed from the interior side. So you wouldn't even notice the impact of the buildings on the exterior, but yet uh, create the safety zone and security, which is all paramount to us as well. Now these buildings are carryovers from last year's list, right? Is that common or no? That's correct. Well, you know, um, we like to say once a Chicago 7, always a Chicago 7 until it's resolved. But when something as important as these two early skyscraper buildings, the last of the Chicago School of Architecture buildings uh, built before World War I, uh, when, when these are threatened with such an uh, incredible um, earmark of $52 million of taxpayer monies, we just feel that this needs to be highlighted once again. Okay, so, back to 1913 on these buildings, right? 1913 and 1915. Wow, incredible. So, and uh, I actually, when looking at the pictures that I am now, and I know this is a podcast, so I encourage everyone to make sure you're reading the story at blockclubchicago.org as well. Yeah, these are classic buildings. They look great. They are, they kind of just feel very Chicago, if I must if I had to put, put pinpoint it, but um, let's go into another one. Otherwise we could spend all day on one. <laughs> the well, you know, John, I just, I just wanted to mention yeah, really please. quick that, um, you know, the Reliance building at state in Washington, one of those great buildings, the Chicago schools now hotel was an office building and it was in terrible disrepair for uh, almost half a century as well. And we feel that these two buildings if restored uh, and reused could be another bright light very much like the uh, renovation and restoration of the Reliance building. And, a, and another proud um, member, if you will, of the, sh the Chicago architecture community and built environment that would shine and, and sparkle. And of course that brings heritage tourism, tens of thousands of tourists each year to Chicago, and especially on one of our most important streets. Do you think that, that helps your case when you have examples of similar buildings that have been turned into something that are used today in a great way? Absolutely. It shows that, they're, uh, that these buildings are not obsolete, which was a term that was used a lot in the 1960s and 1970s to tear down the Garrick Theater building and the Chicago Stock Exchange building. And, you know, these are not obsolete buildings. They just need to be repurposed and revisioned. And they can be authentic Chicago um, uh, components of that great architectural legacy, which they are already. But, you know, they, they just need a little TLC, really. 
And a lot of times you guys pick a specific building or a cluster of buildings. Sometimes it's citywide. What is the Terracotta District? I've never heard of this. So Terracotta is an amazing uh, molded brick, if you will. Uh, and Chicago was a Terracotta Center. We had some of the best and largest terracotta producers in the nation. And it's th that material that you see on such buildings as the Wrigley Building, that sort of white glazed terracotta, but it comes in a variety of different colors and glazes. Um, you think of the Chicago Building at State and, um, State and Madison. Uh, you think of other buildings uh, like the Rookery that employs some ornament that's terracotta um, in different colors and different forms. And we thought this was an amazing category because we're seeing so many of these, especially smaller buildings outside the loop that um, one and two and three story buildings, which are oftentimes demolished, uh, especially in commercial districts, but not exclusive to commercial districts. So uh, we, we wanted to spotlight these incredible um, cornerstones of our community, oftentimes uh, you know, a commercial corner is anchored by an, a series of these terracotta buildings that come in these beautiful polychrome colors. Uh, there are examples that we're going to show uh, that are, you know, purples and blues and yellows, as well as, you know, your typical whites and buff colors. Uh, and, and again, this was a, an economical way of creating uh, a building material and building cladding. Uh, that was universal and could be applied to any type of structure, whether it's a tall building or even a small uh, uh, corner commercial building. Okay. And they're located all over Chicago, and we're seeing them uh, demolished at a, an alarming rate. Let's talk about the warehouse, a pretty famous building. I think a lot of people will recognize this one on the list. This is uh, from 1906 and then uh, remodeled in 1917. And uh, this was a, a place where house music was. Right, that's, that's what I'm right? saying. Like this is, a, right? this is the old nightclub, right? Yes, yes, no, uh, I actually went there in high school. <laughs> well, we, we won't talk about that because that was a long time ago now, but it was a place where uh, you could get in, you could dance. Um, it sort of had an underground quality about it. It was in the West Loop. That's yeah, at 206 uh, South Jefferson. And it's a tiny little narrow building. I'm always surprised at how narrow it is, but very deep. Um, and, you know, uh, Frankie Knuckles got his start here. Uh, and really, the, the house music concept took off from uh, this very club located in this very building uh, in the West Loop. And so, really a remarkable story tied to Chicago's legendary music history that people are not really aware of. And uh, the the uh, term house music came from the, the name of the club, the warehouse. Yeah. And so, I mean, if when, when you have a cultural tie to a building, I think that that can, and like you said, you went there when you were in high school. I think that helps resonate with a lot of people too. <laughs> it was a long time ago, <laughs> but you know, uh, we have a, quite a few music, uh, uh, rows, if you will, in Chicago that are not really recognized along South Wabash Avenue behind the auditorium building and the fine arts building, uh, now Roosevelt University, and uh, and then along South Michigan Avenue as well, where um, the Jackson 5 uh, did an early recording, and uh, the, the, the legacy goes on, and, and none of these buildings, for the most part, are protected. Okay. You know, a lot of times I look at the dates, right, at Preservation Chicago and, and the dates of things. And for the most part, I feel like they're very much early 20th century. I'm not saying that that's the exclusive, but, you know, you see 1915s, 1913s, 1924s. Taft Hall at the University of Illinois Chicago would be, quote unquote, a more modern building that you guys say is endangered. 
Absolutely. This is 1965. This is the University of Illinois' Taft Hall. And uh, the University of Illinois has a um, uh, an RFP, if you will, for uh, the replacement of the facades of these really amazing uh, brutalist buildings, if you will, by Walter Netsch. And Walter Netsch worked for Skidmore, Owings & Merrill. And uh, these are mid-century modern buildings, uh, probably Chicago's largest collection of brutalist modern buildings. And um, we're landmarking Walter Netsch's own house right now currently uh, in Old Town, both its interior and its exterior, which is very rare to see an interior recognized. And uh, here we are on the, the cusp of perhaps destroying one or a, another grouping of his buildings as these are all connected, uh, interconnected through walkways and whatnot. And uh, it's, a, it's an amazing series of structures, um, all made of concrete, uh, beautiful forms, and uh, to, to reclad these structures in a glass curtain wall that anybody in any city um, in any school could could acquire is uh, is not where we want to go as an architectural city. I think we want to really um, embrace uh, these original concepts by these amazing world-renowned architects like Walter Netsch and Skidmore Owings and Merrill, and these should be preserved. I so like I'm with you on everything. Brutalist architecture, I think it's a bad rap sometimes, and mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's starting to gain a little more appreciation. So I just want to like put it out there for people that just hate the look of brutalist architecture. There's a case to be made for saving buildings, even if they're not your personal appeal, right. but they are contributing to the overall architecture, uh, you know, diversity that we have in a city. Am I? Is that kind of where you guys are coming from on that? Absolutely. You know, it's not one's personal taste, but, you know, where this falls in architectural uh, history, where it where it falls into the expressionist uh, uh, movement and, and these architects that work within the, these framework, uh, these frameworks, uh, it's really it's really important to recognize that we can't always overlap our personal tastes. We saw this a lot with the Thompson Center, where people would um, first react either positively or negatively to the exterior. And, you know, our, our comments were, well, you know, this is an important building by a world-renowned architect. Uh, he's built buildings around the, the world. It inspired the Sony Center in Berlin. And by the way, go inside and find me another 17-story space in Chicago that's like that of the Thompson Center. And people would say, okay, uncle, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think this you have to sort of keep all of this in context. It's part of the larger built environment. It's sort of a little something for everybody, if you will. I um, When you think about like ornate um, finishes on a building, if anyone's kind of walked through the South Shore neighborhood and uh, seen the Jeffrey Theater and the Spencer Arms Hotel, I mean, there is just some incredible work that's on the exterior of these buildings, uh, reminiscent of a, a time when, I mean, it's still obviously a, a, a hop, happened in neighborhood, of course, but, you know, opulent, I guess, would be the word I used. This makes the list, too, these two buildings. Yeah, you know, so uh, the Jeffrey Theater and the Spencer Arms Hotel are at 71st and Jeffrey. This was once um, and still is a very vibrant corner of South Shore, although, um, you know, some, some of our areas of our city have suffered from uh, terrible disinvestment. And you oftentimes see this mostly in uh, mostly reflected in the commercial areas. And uh, so uh, these buildings that were part of a, a larger group of commercial buildings that uh, front 71st Street, and that's that wonderful street where the 
the Illinois Central, as I like to call it, it's now the Metro Electric, runs down the middle of the street and you feel like you're in a small town. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a really unique Chicago street. And um, these two buildings in, in particular uh, were, were joined by the old South Shore Bank. It was originally uh, the, the, the Jackson Park Bank, later Urban Partnerships Bank. And um, about eight years ago or so, um, the bank closed this location and these buildings uh, have been sort of sitting idle. There is a plan to demolish them and build a, an event center with theaters and uh, bowling alleys and whatnot. And um, we are very supportive of, of the, the new development there. We just want the new development to embrace these historic buildings. And there's no reason the new development of, of movie theaters, ironically, right? The, the Jeffrey Theater was a movie theater. And there's no reason that, that that theater complex couldn't be placed behind these two buildings. From the 7,000 south, let's go to the 7,600 block. That's when you know you're getting pretty far north. <laughs> when you start starting the 7,600 block of North Polina, the Warner Brothers building, which again, you talk about cool facades and uh, still has the you know, fireproof and storage above uh, some of the big uh, windows and doors there. This building is um, has an uncertain future for sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, so there's a, a development which will be a, an affordable housing development which will go up on the corner and replace, a, you know, an older building that's been re remodeled beyond recognition. Uh, but the second phase is to continue that affordable housing onto the site of Warner Brothers. And we think that uh, we're very much supportive of, of affordable housing uh, across Chicago. There's a great need. We just think that this building could be incorporated into that larger uh, housing uh, complex, especially phase two. So this is a great building by George Kingsley. He was an architect that designed a number of these warehouses, including the Reby Brothers warehouse on Clark Street near Fullerton with the two King Tut figures that frame the entrance. Also, by the way, a designated Chicago landmark uh, by the same architect. And he also did a wonderful building uh, near Wrigley Field, another storage warehouse on Sheffield and Sheridan Road. And uh, we feel that uh, these buildings are really remarkable. Uh, they can be repurposed, they're fireproof. So that's really, that's really wonderful too, because you know, you don't have to worry about large disasters. But this one has great curb appeal with its um, incredible encrusted ornament, if you will, that uh, in polychrome terracotta, it's green and white and, uh, and then a, a yellow brick on the upper facade. Uh, just a, an incredibly gorgeous uh, building that should be uh, retained. And, and we are working with uh, uh, indirectly with uh, the alderman and, uh, and the developer to encourage preservation, see what we can do to preserve this, this building as part of that larger affordable apartments complex. Yeah, they can be kind of mutually beneficial, right? Affordability, Absolutely. preservation, and you, you know, utilize tax credits, right, too, as well, to try and make it uh, work for everybody. The Southwest Side Industrial, the Damon Silas, this whole area is uh, is next on the list. Yeah, so we have uh, Continental Can uh, from 1920. This is by Samuel Scott Joy. It's part of the original uh, East uh, CMD, the Central Manufacturing District, original East District. And this was a, a planned industrial complex that 
um, really had everything available to you if you were manufacturing uh, items uh, for uh, delivery to your customers, uh, all in one, if you will. And it was so successful, this original East District, which this building was a part of, that they went ahead and built uh, another complex along Sheridan, uh, excuse me, along Pershing Road. Uh, nearby that, you know, is the, are those red brick buildings that sort of march like soldiers down Pershing Road. And those were one of our Chicago seven in years past, as well as this district. And it's been slowly uh, uh, eaten away, if you will, demolished one by one, the Wrigley, the Wrigley Gum Factory and, and several others, and now this one. Um, and this is to be replaced by a large refrigerator sort of freezer type building that would be windowless fronting Ashland Avenue. And again, this is another case where um, we encourage development, but we want to see the, the the historic resource also integrated into the development. So let's find a way to make this uh, a reality where the historic building can and tower can still uh, retain its prominence on Ashland Avenue with the windowless refrigerator building built behind where people really won't see it, where, where it'll be sort of hidden. And that's really where it belongs. That completes the list of seven. I got to ask Ward, I know uh, this is the goal is to save these buildings. Do you have like a batting average for what Preservation Chicago is able to do? We're, we're very successful at this actually. Uh, we This is our 20th year and we just put together a, a 20th uh, anniversary video of our Chicago sevens. And, you know, they include such buildings as the old Cook County Hospital, which was doomed to demolition, and it's now a, a major component. And even buildings that weren't part of the Chicago 7 that we consider um, great buildings, like the old post office, the old Chicago post office, where, you know, there were so many plans to develop them, to demolish the middle sections of that building. It was said to be too big. And, you know, we were the organization that said, what building is too big for downtown Chicago? You know, would you lop off the top of the Sears Tower because it's too big or too tall? I mean, come on. And it's now, you know, a, a very successful home to multinational companies and really drawing uh, industries and companies to that west portion of the loop. Uh, but quite a few uh, buildings have been rescued. A uh, number of churches and houses of worship uh, have also been retained and revisioned. Uh, so this really, this spotlighting of seven buildings each year is really a remarkable program, at least in our eyes. And we think there's great value to the larger city of Chicago. I just want to mention we are a, a nonprofit organization. We're supported by funders and individuals that like what we do. We give it all away for free, John. <laughs> it's all pro bono services. Uh, so, you know, people call, they get they get the executive director on the phone. And, um, you know, I, I talk to everybody. We want to make this a better city. We want to make this a fair and equitable city. And we want this to be, you know, the best city in America. Amen. PreservationChicago.org. You know, it's hard to develop a city and grow a city and cities change over the years. Uh, I think at the very least, it's just important to have organizations like yours to raise awareness, to have conversations. Not every decision ends up being one everyone agrees with, but at least every building has its advocate, I guess you could say, and uh, at least has their day in front of the public eye. And Preservation Chicago does that work for a lot of great buildings, communities, etc. And Ward... I really appreciate your time. I, I enjoy the list and uh, good luck with everything. Okay. Absolutely. And sign up for our free newsletter, everybody. It's 30 to 130 pages a month. It's a, uh, it's a remarkable, uh, it's a remarkable, um, uh, 
testament to what we do. Amen to that. All right, that's going to do it for It's All Good, a Block Club Chicago podcast. We will drop another pod on you next week.